Well, we're celebrating freedom. And uh, that's what this weekend's all about. That's what this week is all about. And that's really the, the essence of my message this morning. Let's take just a few minutes and review where we've been on this series, Life Lock, that we kicked off actually June 1st, the first Sunday of this month. And uh, we went all the way back to the garden. And we saw where things derailed early on in, in the book of Genesis, the third chapter. We read about in Genesis chapter 1, God created man in His own image, His own likeness. And in chapter 3, we see Adam and Eve blowing it and eating of forbidden fruit and disobeying God. And they're hiding in the garden and they're making fig leaves and, and uh, things are derailed. And God comes looking for Adam and He's calling out for him. And, and Adam says, well, God, I... I I was afraid because I was naked. And God asked him, who told you that you were naked? Who, who defined you? Since when have you been defining who you are outside of what I've declared about you? And so, in the Garden of Eden, our identity, man's identity was hijacked. The image and likeness of God was marred scarred in the garden. And ever since Genesis chapter 3, we've been working to restore that identity. And I should say, to be more accurate, God has been working to restore that identity. And that's what we've been looking at since June 1st in this LifeLock series. We kicked off looking at Genesis, and then we, we dove right into the book of Romans, following Paul through chapter by chapter to allow what God says to allow the Word of God to stamp this identity first on our hearts, secondly on our minds, and ultimately on our lives. And we, we started in Genesis chapter, uh, Genesis rather, Romans chapter 1. And uh, we saw in Romans chapter 1 that Paul's writing to the church at Rome, and he uses an amazing description. He calls them saints. He describes them as saints. He calls them holy ones. Now that's a title that most of us wrestle to identify with. But this is how God is defining His people. This is how He's defining true Christ followers. He calls them saints. And we looked at, at uh, uh, Romans chapter 1 and, and we looked at verse 18 and how the Bible tells us that the wrath of God is revealed. Romans chapter 1 verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and wickedness. And then it lists this downward spiral of sin. And Paul makes the legal case, as Rick Rubel pointed out last week, that all of us are hopelessly lost. All of us are, are in sin, broken sinners. None of us are righteous. None of us seek after God. All of us have gone astray. Paul uses this emphatic language to say that all the world is guilty before God. We're in trouble. And then Chris Carter took us into Romans chapter 3 where the Bible begins to unveil the solution and Paul begins to write about this justification being made right with God legally because of what Jesus Christ has done. Not by anything that you or I have done to earn it or to merit it. And so this idea that Chris unpacked for us of being justified just as if I'd never sinned. The penalty removed. And then last week, Rick Rubel spent time so beautifully unfolding the simple truth of righteousness, being right with God, credited to us. 
And I love the example that he used about his own son-in-law. If you were here, you heard him tell the story. His son and daughter-in-law were in Bible school. They were in the final semester. They had made a determination that they weren't going to borrow. They were going to go paying cash and not incur debt. They didn't have the money to pay the final tuition bill. Two weeks left. Finals were coming. All the work had been done. And they got notification that they were not going to be able to take their final exams. They were not going to be able to graduate. It was going to kick graduation out another year. It was going to require more tuition. They didn't have the money. But their church took an offering and took that money and deposited it to their account. Paid their bill. It was applied to them personally and specifically. Now all of us can, can relate to that in some form or another. Because financial pressure produces stress, doesn't it? It brings stress. There was stress, I'm sure, in their lives. And then the news came. Not what they had done but what someone else had done that was credited to their account. What a beautiful picture that Paul unpacks in Romans chapter 4, speaking about, and Romans uses the word gift seven different times, this gift of righteousness. I love that language because I like gifts. I especially like salvation as a gift because I'm not good enough, I'm not tall enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not, I'm not holy enough. But it comes as a gift. And so Paul continues to unpack this in chapter 5 and chapter 6. So that's where we're going to pick up today. And I want to use some really simple language that all of us will relate to as I really touch on three keys this morning for proof of identity. All of us can relate to this. There, there are times when we have to prove our identity. And there's three primary things that we typically use to prove our identity, to prove that we are who we say that we are. And what's, what's the most common one that most of us use? Our driver's license. And I've, I've got mine here today. I lost it a few months ago. And I had to go into the Secretary of State and get another one. And uh, that's, that's a whole lesson and, and, and thought process in itself, that when I had lost my ID, when I had lost my proof of identity, I wasn't okay with that. I needed to resolve it. And I needed to resolve it very quickly, fairly quickly, because it's illegal to drive without your driver's license. You've got to have proof of identity. And so I, I had to go into the Secretary of State, and I took two other Pieces of identification. Now, there's a number of ways that we can identify ourselves, but what do you suppose were the two that I took into the Secretary of State? Birth certificate and what else? Uh, Social Security card or I actually took my passport. Social Security cards, a legitimate. Uh, that's not, that didn't make the top three in my sermon, okay? So that was, for, for the sake of illustration, we're not going there, okay? It's driver's license, passport, and, uh, and what was the birth certificate, okay? So the point is, we can use those three things to prove who we are. If there's any question, if there's any doubt. And I was thinking about this as we're walking through this LifeLock series and gleaning from the book of Romans who God says we are. We are saints. We are no longer objects of wrath. We are justified. We have been made righteous through the person and work of Jesus Christ as a gift that comes by faith. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking about passport. And Paul 
gives us our passport, if we could put it in that language, He gives us our passport in Romans chapter 5. And we're going to go to the verse, the very first verse of Romans chapter 5, 5 verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, after he talks about Abraham and his faith and being justified and being made righteous by his faith, he says in verse 1 of Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Leave that slide up if you will. Paul says, if we really buy into this Gospel, this Gospel that he says in chapter 1 is the power of God, for in it the righteousness or the way of being right with God is revealed. It's, it's, it's about faith. It's from faith and to faith. And Paul says it's this gift. If we really buy into this, if we're all into this notion that I'm made right with God, not based on what I do or don't do, but based exclusively on what Jesus Christ did, and I place all my eggs in one basket, I put all my, all my money on one race, if I could use that horrible analogy, I'm all in with Jesus Christ. Paul says, then, I'm justified through faith, and I have peace with God. I submit this to you this morning. Peace is proof that you really believe the Gospel. It's a beautiful proof. It's like your passport. You can't travel abroad without your passport. I remember my wife and I went on a cruise for our honeymoon. I had bought and renovated a house and sold it, and I took that money to be able to, to buy a cruise. We, it was fantastic. We needed a passport to get on that ship. On our 10-year anniversary, we took an Eastern Caribbean cruise. We went to the Virgin Islands. And I remember reading all the fine print about what I needed to have to be sure I could get on the ship. And it was very emphatic, I did not need my passport. I read it multiple times to be certain. And when we got to Miami, if you've ever cruised, you, you, you can recognize this picture. We were standing in a line very similar to this, looking at a ship very similar to that. It was like a, a, a Cedar Point maze that you walk through with your luggage. And at the very front of the line, as we, as we came up and approached, there was a large sign. In fact, there wasn't just one. There were about ten signs that all said the same thing. They said, if you don't have your passport you will not be allowed to board this ship. You want to talk about stress. I, I, I could use some vernacular right now that's pretty vulgar that all of us could identify with. I, I was going to fill my drawers. We, we, we had flown to Miami. There was no plan B. We laid out a check for a couple grand and I'm looking at this sign knowing if I don't have my passport, I'm not getting on that ship. I cannot. I mean, you talk about stress. You talk about anxiety. And I couldn't wait to talk to the first person that had some sort of authority because I'd read all it. And, and to my complete relief, I was told, no, you're absolutely right. You're going to the Virgin Islands. This is a U.S. territory. All you need is your driver's license. Oh. 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 Now that, my friend, is peace right there. That's peace. That's exactly what Paul is telling us. 
He's saying, since all of this is true, since you were under the wrath of God, you were an object of God's wrath, you were guilty, you were broken, you were jacked, it's all true, but there's this amazing deliverance that God provided through Jesus Christ. And you receive that by faith. And because that's true, you have peace with God. Wow. Oh. Now that's why they call it good news. See, our identity needs at times to be proven. And the first proof is the passport. What's the passport? It's Romans 5.1. The proof is the peace. Because here's the truth. If you accept salvation, trusting completely what Christ has done for you, and you receive that by faith, you have peace with God. Until that becomes a reality, until that is your true identity, you will always strive, you will be driven by performance of some kind. It will be wrapped in religious trappings, but you'll be always striving to do something to achieve being right with God. You always have to do something a little more, a little better, a little more often, a little more consistently, or you've got to stop doing something. That's performance. The Gospel is good news because it's based on performance, but it's not yours. It's His. And, and the day the Holy Spirit takes that from here to here, and it becomes a matter of heart faith, you'll experience similar to what I experienced when I finally talked to one of the stewards and they said, no, Mr. Eel, if you're right, you can get on with your driver's license. You don't need your passport. You take a deep breath. A smile will spread across your face. All the striving will cease because everything that's been done to achieve it has already been done. It's, that's why grace is so amazing. That's why it's so breathtaking. And so Paul says, the proof is the peace. Now here's, here's the truth this morning. Peace will generate or create or produce performance. It will motivate us powerfully to serve Jesus Christ. To honor Him with our lives. To honor Him with our sacred fortunes. To invest in His kingdom. To share this crazy message of being right with God through what Jesus Christ has done. But those are natural outcomes. They're not things I do in order to attain peace with God. They flow out of the reality that I already have peace with God. And i got to open up my big fat mouth and tell somebody because it's amazing. So peace will produce performance. But mark my words, performance will never produce peace. Ever. Ever. You will always strive. You will always wrestle. You will always deal with shame, with guilt, with uncertainty. You will always question you will never have quite arrived because there's something else you never 
get there ever. It's exhausting. It's frustrating. There's condemnation. There's shame. There's either that or there's religious bigotry and pride and looking down on everybody else because you got your poop in a pile and nobody else does. Even though you really don't. You just think you do. Are you listening this morning? We're talking about three proofs. The number one is peace. Since I've been justified by faith, I have, present tense, peace with God. I was an object of wrath. I was an enemy. I was alienated from God. But I've been reconciled through Jesus Christ. I have peace. Wow. Now that's a big one. That's a big one. Because you read Romans chapter 1, and outside of Jesus Christ, we are in deep trouble. We're in a, we're a, we're in a world of hurt. So Paul says, the first proof, Romans chapter 5, 1, is peace. And it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah, peace brings performance, but performance can never produce peace. The second piece of ID that I want to talk about this morning, that Paul really, uh, this is a loose analogy. He doesn't use the word passport. He doesn't use the word driver's license. But in Romans chapter 5, I see a driver's license. So we call a driver's license an operator's license. And for the believer in Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 5.17 is our driver's license. It's our, our operator's license. Paul talks about how this amazing love from God, that, that God loved us. And he demonstrated that love towards us in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He, he didn't wait until we were all cleaned up. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He initiated. And then Paul starts to write about Adam versus Christ. And he begins to compare and contrast. And he said, Adam blew it. One act of disobedience blew it for the entire human race. And then there's Jesus Christ. One act of obedience. Ransomed. Made everything right for all of mankind. And through one man, death reigned through sin, through Adam's sin. But through one act of obedience, life and grace reigns through the one Jesus Christ. So Paul paints this amazing contrast between what happened through Adam, the first man, and what happened through Jesus Christ, what the Bible calls the second Adam. And Paul pens these words in verse 17. He says that 